Blog Talk Radio. Everybody out there taking the time to listen to Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry. It's another Wednesday evening. We got another show for you. Happy that you're along to listen and enjoy the ride. Vinny Hardy and Terry T.B. Brown are with you. Hope everybody's doing well. T.B. is up in the largest city in our state, Louisville, Kentucky. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. I'm 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 doing fantastic. You doing good, Vinny? Can't complain, can't complain. Got uh, my little guys a little bit under weather, but uh, other than that, everybody's good. My oldest had a little touch of whatever this bug is. My little man's fighting it right now. Uh, but other than that, everything is good. Uh, it's just that time of year with the crazy weather and all that good stuff. Stuff is going around, and the youngsters catch it from time to time. We went through it, and now, as kids, now we're going through it as parents. And I just don't think, as a parent, there's a more kind of helpless feeling than when your kid is sick. Because even when you give them all the medicine and do all that kind of stuff, they still have to go through it, and you're kind of just, you know, you're stuck. That's a that's a helpless feeling right there. But uh, I'm wishing your uh, little one a, a speedy recovery. Appreciate it. Appreciate that. Yeah, definitely the case, trying to. Get him back. Of course, he's he's two, and of course, big brother had a touch of it, and I uh, was out. I took a couple of days off work because he was out. Uh, he had bounced back and went back to school today, and now just gotta get little man through it. They kind of stagger it out, you know. He'll <laughs> they pass it back. Day or so later, it'll hit the other one. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it works. But um, other than that, we're doing good, and my little man he'll be bouncing back soon. And, and keep running around like his normal self. Uh, got a quick show for everybody That's tonight. Uh, 845-277-9373. Um, got to get your perspective because, once again, you were at Rep Arena for last night's game as Kentucky uh, knocked off Georgia. Got to get your insights on that as you were there. We got a gentleman who... Uh, we've been trying to get on the show for a minute, you know, a few weeks here and there. Uh, Brian Eldridge of Scout.com is going to hop on because, as Terry and I said a couple weeks ago, we are not recruiting dudes. You know, we'll, we'll you know, kind of find out who's coming and, and check them out when they get to Kentucky to play whatever respect they're coming to Kentucky to play. Uh, but this man follows it. He's big into it. He's going to drop knowledge. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, a lot of you already follow him and 
know what he's about. Uh, Brian Eldridge, as we mentioned, the scout recruiting analyst for high school football in Kentucky and UK and Missouri State football recruiting. So, hey, we're going to – I mean, it's a crazy day for him, as obviously for everybody that follows recruiting. So we'll get a few minutes of Brian's time, and he'll come on with us. We look forward to that. Uh, got a Super Bowl game to talk about between the Patriots and Seahawks. That might come up in conversation. Um, Kentucky plays Florida Saturday. That will come up in conversation. Uh, and you know how we do, Terry, and I'll just touch on all of it and hope you guys enjoy it, and, and we look forward to having another fun show. Um, that's Brian that's right. is gonna come on. Brian is coming on at six thirty. Is what originally said. Give or take a few minutes, depending on what he's got going on. Been DMing back and forth. Uh, so if he calls in before then, we'll jump right to him and and talk National Signing Day with him. Uh, if it's at six thirty, then we'll talk to him at six thirty. Whatever's kind of most convenient for him, because it would be a tad bit hectic for him, I would say as he is keeping up with all the goings-on. Um, let's just get your thoughts. I'll get your thoughts on recruiting, too, even whether we're with Brian or not. But your thoughts on the game last night. You were there at Rupp Arena covering it, uh, Instagramming photos, tweeting out, and writing articles and doing it all. You know, Kyle Tucker was taking notes from TV last night, I know. So just let us know what was going on. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, uh, Kyle Tucker of the Louisville Courier Journal, he's he's the man. Uh, he's got his audio recorder. He's taking photos and somehow jotting down notes all while asking uh, Cal and, and the guys questions. He's he's the he's the talent uh, at that. Uh, but it was a good night. It was actually uh, a pretty strange night uh, for me because uh, usually when I go. Uh, those folks say I'm, I'm usually wearing my suit. Um, I'm usually looking pretty good. But last night was I got a late start getting to Lexington, so I was just kind of bumming it, as Mrs. TB would say. Uh, but I <laughs> and because it was our good friend Matt May, uh, it was his birthday. So in honor of his birthday yesterday, uh, I was wearing my San Francisco Giants hat because you know you know I've got all the the baseball hats. So I'm walking into Ruff. And I look over, and there's Sean Farnham, you know, that does the color for the for ESPN and for the SEC network yeah. with uh, the folks. Yes. Yeah. So I'm walking in. He says, hey, go Giants. He gives me a little fist pump, and he says, that guy, we got to keep an eye out for that guy. He knows what he's doing. You know, I said, okay. You know. <laughs> so I went to the uh, uh, usual place and um, – uh, where the media go, got my cookies and all that kind of stuff. And I always like to get there early and watch the guys shoot around. So I'm out there watching them shoot around. And uh, Sean Parham comes over, and he sits down next to me on the bench there, and we just start talking about 10, 15 minutes, just about a little bit of everything. He said how he had brought his wife uh, to Lexington with him. She usually doesn't travel with him. But uh, she, he said that, you know, she had to come to Lexington, and uh, they had taken a tour of Keeneland and mm-hmm. uh, and everything. The most interesting thing uh, was how special mm-hmm. he was saying that the uh, Big Blue Nation is. Because, as you said, he went to 
uh, UCLA, he talked about playing uh, Kentucky in the 98 tournament and then Puerto Rico in 99, and he said those fans are everywhere. Uh, he talked about the shoot-around before the game and the tournament, and he said 20,000 seats uh, for the shoot-around and 80% were filled with Kentucky fans. He said not for the game, but for the shoot-around. So, you know, this is a guy with, uh, you know, played for UCLA, which we all know has 11 championships to, to our eight, uh, talking about how great the fan base was. So I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, take on that. Uh, so that was that was good. Uh, uh, Oscar Robertson of, of Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bearcats fame, and then the NBA was there as a guest of Cal. And I actually got to shake his hand. Let me let me let me back up a little bit. So, you know, since we're Wildcat Blue Nation, we're not down on the floor, but we're on the upper level of the media thing for Rupp, uh, the second floor there. And I'm always at the end of the game. I'm always the last one to kind of get my stuff because I start, you know, the post game write up, you know. So I'm getting all my stuff together. And I look down and I was like, oh my goodness, there's ESPN's Andy Katz. You know, and everybody knows Andy Katz is college basketball. So I walk down to him and I say, hey, you know, Mr. Katz, you know, you know, I introduced myself, nice to meet you and all this kind of stuff, and I uh, talked to him for a little bit. And he said, hey, can you tell me where the elevator is to get downstairs? I'm like, well, sure, ESPN's Andy Katz. Mm-hmm. And, by the <laughs> way, that is how I responded. <laughs> that is how I responded to it was certainly – ESPN's Andy Katz. I'm more than happy to show you where the elevator is. So to take it to the elevator, and it was jam packed, and just talking a little bit, and you know, asking him how he liked coming to up and that kind of thing. So as we're getting off the elevator, Oscar Robertson comes walking by, and I'm like, "Okay, Andy Katz, I've got to go talk to Oscar Robertson real quick," because they were taking him from the uh, from the court actually to the uh, locker room area. So I got to shake Oscar Robertson's hand, uh, which was a big deal for me because my dad has sworn for years that Oscar Robertson was the best basketball player he had ever seen play and would tell me stories about Oscar Robertson when he was at Cincinnati coming to play UofL at the old armory uh, in downtown Louisville, the building that predated Freedom Hall, and just how phenomenal he was and everything like this. So for just a brief moment, I got to shake Oscar Robertson's hand and tell him that he was my dad's favorite basketball player, and it was honor honor to meet him. He was very, very gracious. Uh, so it was a very good night. I had a very fun night uh, last night, being a tour guide for Andy Katz, shooting the breeze with Sean Farnham, and getting to shake uh, the big O's hand was a pretty good, pretty good game. So yeah, that's, that's uh, a nice evening. Yeah, so that, that was a pretty good – but on top of that, uh, the Cats, you know, they won. Uh, there's always going to be some, some things they can improve on. Uh, but my takeaway was Towns played well. Uh, Cal mentioned as much in his postgame press conference that uh, it was the best two halves of basketball he had put back together all, uh, gay, all year. And I think the biggest change is – He's making his move quicker in the lane. Like, he's not waiting for the double team. He's forcing the action. He's kind of feeling where the initial defender is and then making his move. And he's keeping the ball high. 
and going up over the top. And that's what he needs to do for this team to be successful. The second takeaway was uh, Andrew Harrison played lights out. 23 points, seven assists, one turnover, uh, a steal. Uh, He forced the issue the way he was doing at the end of last season. And it's one of those things because Euless, Tyler Euless, played really, really well last night as well. But if if we get that kind of Andrew, uh, you know, that's that's got a deep run. You know, last night Aaron Harrison only had one point. Uh, Devin Booker didn't shoot particularly well. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein was a little pedestrian last night. Uh, you know, and they still won. The game was never really in doubt, even though the score was a little bit closer than we had uh, anticipated. Uh, but Mark Few, Mark Fox, there, see, see, I, almost, I did it again. <laughs> Mark Fox, Georgia's coach. <laughs> Mark Fox pointed out, because somebody asked him, you know, that Andrew hadn't had a real game like that uh, in a long time. Did that take you by surprise? And his response was, with this Kentucky team, you, you can't game plan for anybody. He said, because you never know. He said, they've got nine guys over there that on any given night can go for 20, you know, and Towns put up a double-double last night. He said, so you, you, you can't game plan for like you would for another team where you know, okay, these one or two guys, I mean, Aaron Harrison, leading score, one point. I mean, he did other things to help the team win. But if your leading scorer only scores one point, most teams that spells trouble in a major way. You know, but as we've seen from this team, on any given night, you've got guys that will step up. And that's what's going to make them tough to beat is because there is that any given night uh, philosophy. Yeah. And um, like you said, um, Teams may go in saying which they can't do because you never know, but they may go in saying they're going to take somebody away, you know, which, on, like you said, on most teams that would, would work, you know, cut off the main contributor, cut off the monster's head. Uh, but if they go in like that, somebody else could just totally take them by surprise. Like you said, you never know where it's coming from uh, on any given night because, you know, Booker has been on fire. Harrison was shooting. Aaron shooting better, and both of those guys were quiet last. Yeah, like you said, you know, the second kind of kept Georgia at on. Yeah, on Blitz, and were able to you know still control the game without uh, getting much contribution from those two. A question for you for Andrew. Uh, I was able to listen to. It. wasn't able to watch last night, so I listened to a lot of it. Um. Was it a quiet 23 or was it a clutch 23? You can't describe it. I mean, it was the best game of the season. But was it kind of well, like, he, oh, oh, he got 23, or was it It was just obvious he yeah. had his fingerprints all over the game? All over the game. I mean, from the, the first get-go, uh, I believe it was Towns had the first uh, had the first basket. But, but I'm going to say Aaron, Andrew – really got it going hitting some jumpers. He had about his first six points uh, on just jump shots from around, and then he started getting warm from three. He finished three of six from three-point range last night. And there were a couple of heat check threes where he was a good step beyond the three-point line. And uh, in the postgame, Cal said that 
Kenny Payne has been working with him on his jump shot, not so much on his tippy toes as he was shooting before, but really getting his leg extension, you know, making a real jump shot and coming over the top of the ball, uh, you know, mm-hmm. with a shooting hand. So uh, you can tell that they've been working with him, and he said as much himself uh, because someone asked him post-game, was he surprised at his game? And he said, not surprised, uh, you know, happy, but not satisfied. You know, he he feels that, you know, he can do this kind of thing every night. Uh, the 23 assists or 23 points was great, but it was the assists. I mean, he really forced the issue and, and was very sound defensively, as was uh, Aaron, even though he didn't score. Uh they did a lot of things uh, very, very well. Um, I think last night it was obvious uh, how much this team misses uh, Alex Poitras and Trey Lyles, who did not play last night, uh, because when teams zone, the offense can get a little stagnant because uh, Andrew really doesn't have the driving lanes you know, that he usually needs. Uh, and you missed Lyles on that, uh, you know, you got that 10 to 12 foot jumper that he can find spaces in the zone and shoot over the top of guys. And you remember what last year, what uh, Poitras did against the zone, kind of moving along that back line, you know, getting lost from the defender. And, and be, you know, we were able to go up over the top and he's able to finish. So we're kind of missing that aspect. And what I really wanted to see was more of Aaron driving. Uh, like he did against Louisville, really forcing the zone to react to him and, and then kind of uh, attacking the basket. But, you know, a win is a win, uh, 22-0, and 0, so you got to be happy. Most definitely. Definitely will take that any time you can get it. Um, and and Trey Lyle's mid-range jumper is wise beyond his years. It would definitely be uh, good to see that when it's back in the lineup once he's back to feeling better. Um, we talked about Booker, how he's, he's reeling off, you know, NCC Freshman of the Week awards. We talked about it last week. And of course, he did it again. Um, a few weeks ago, of course, he was kind of getting his legs under him as far as getting off a shot and, and shooting accurately. He had to, uh, as Kyle put it, get his shot off faster. He can't just step in and take his time in getting his shot up. So, you know, he started off shooting, taking his time. Then he went through the process of speeding up his shot. In that transition phase, he was missing a lot. Uh, then he kind of got everything, you know, all cylinders clicking, and he's, you know, shooting the ball extremely well. Last night he was cool uh, compared to what he had been doing, but he kind of, has mastered the fact that he's got to get the shot off faster and shoot accurate at the same time. And we saw what a torrid streak he went on. With Towns last night putting together those two good halves, is the same thing maybe taking place with him? He's had to adjust to the physicality, adjust to going and staying high with the ball, reading double teams quicker, and, and making his move quicker. Can you maybe kind of see that same thing happening with him that happened with Booker. Of course, you know, Towns learning and adjusting to life in the paint at the college level the way Booker has had to do on the perimeter. And, and then you see the results with Booker. Could we possibly be, 
see things kind of clicking with Carl Towns. Yeah, uh, I think definitely. And last night, when when Towns started beasting in the first half, uh, and, and and even in the second half, Booker and and Aaron and uh, um, Tyler Eulis, they had open looks at the basket because the defense, as you would expect it to, started sagging in on Towns, and they had good looks. I mean, four or five really good looks that just rimmed out. Uh, which you wouldn't anticipate to be a theme going forward. So my thing is, if Towns is going to be able to to do like he did, and if Willie can get back to kind of what he has been, you know, early in the season, that's really going to open up that outside, uh, and 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 Booker and and, and Aaron and and will be able to, and even Andrew last night, uh, you know, will be able to to you know be inside out. What I thought was was very good was um, Towns had some he had some very great he had some good passes out of the double team. Uh, he was catching it kind of like uh, Randall was last year at the high post, and he was able to dump it down to the Cauley Stein for uh, I think for one of the dunks. So you like to see that out of your big man as well uh, is be able to not just attack out of the double team or to passively pass the ball, you know, back to a guard on the perimeter, but can your big man, can he dump it down to another big man? Uh, and we saw that last night. And a lot of times, you know, teams weren't double teaming the post in part. You know, you had Booker and Aaron Harrison and, you know, Tyler Hughes at times hitting perimeter shots. You know, that was the reason, you know, perimeter guys were staying home. But another reason was because the bigs weren't, you know, doing a lot of damage down there. You know, they could be single covered. Teams could do that and get away with it uh, because the Dakari and, and Willie and Carl weren't making them pay. So if that comes along where they're, you know, doing work down low, then it becomes that picky poison situation that, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, if you double down, you know, you kick it out to Booker, you can reverse it over to Harrison. If you stay home, then you got all that size and length uh, going up stronger, going up more physical, and now single cover. So then that's when <laughs> teams are really going to be in that kind of helpless situation. It's going to be a catch-22 for guys, for coaches and teams going forward. Yeah, and, and I think – you know, with all the talk about platoons, what I've noticed in some of the closer games, uh, we've got our five. The the you know, barring foul trouble, that kind of thing. We've we've got our, our five that are gonna finish the games. You've got Towns, Cauley Stein, the twins, and a rotation of of Booker and Tyler Eulis. That seems to be the 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 go to that Cal's going with uh, when the games are close, you've got your your dominant big man in towns, and you've got your your veteran guys with the Harrisons and Cauley Stein, uh, you know, and whichever kind of freshman's kind of got that hot hand. But that's the rotation that I think we will see going forward. Uh, you know, once the games get a little bit tighter and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so um, 
and we'll see going forward at Florida, uh, in Gainesville. Lost to them three times last year. Kentucky closed the gap with each progressing game. Of course, the last one there in the SEC uh, tournament. Uh, I listened to a little bit of the post game uh, with Tom Leach and Mike Pratt, and they were talking to Andrew Harrison. And, of course, they mentioned Florida coming up, and Mike Pratt, of course, been on our show, and we appreciate it so much. Uh, he said, no, you got Florida team that's beat you three times, and Andrew just kind of went, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> he had forgotten. Uh, can't wait to kind of go down there and, and uh, have another crack at him for sure. So I, I like this to kind of rise. Yeah, about that. You know, that he kind of he, he, that he replied with when talking to Mike and Tom last night after the ball game. Yeah, and uh, I, I think these guys know. I mean, the the list of teams that have beaten Kentucky four straight times. I think Florida did it when they were on their run uh, in the early 2000s. But that's a pretty that's a pretty small select group uh, to beat Kentucky, you know, four times in a row. So uh, they'll be ready to play. Um, so I, I'm not as, as worried about it, uh, you know, as, as we were last year, you know, the game at, at Florida. These, these guys will be ready to play. I, I, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. And, um of course, Florida has had a few little bumps in the road more than um, most and probably more than they would have expected. You know, it's it's down there in the O'Connell Center. Um, so they'll be ready to play. Um, I did Florida, how did they turn out with Vanderbilt last night? They were losing for most of the game. Did they come I, back I and beat them? I believe they lost, but let me uh, let me check on that. To, I was trying to pull it up on Cats Illustrated. They didn't have it updated on their schedule. So I'm going to try to, let's see. Yeah, Vanderbilt beat Florida 67-61. Okay. Well, no, Vanderbilt was up, I think, 13 to nothing right off the bat, and then they were holding a 6-8, nine-point lead throughout, and I didn't know Florida was able to make one final charge and overtake them. But that was at Vanderbilt, and that's, I mean, that, you know, quirky gym and stuff, no matter who you are or when you go. Um, they'll be more comfortable at home and, of course, coming off a loss and it being Kentucky. So it'll be it'll be the, a live, live hype atmosphere Saturday night. But um, I'm like you, Kentucky will be ready for it, and uh, they'll be juiced up. Uh, and, and I think they'll come out swinging more than they have at times. Uh, we see how they do when it is more of a uh, marquee-type matchup, and that still is the case even though Florida is down. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Florida has been the only program, you know, and I think we've touched on this before, that has actually been fairly competitive with Kentucky, uh, you know, over the last 20 or, or so years. Uh so yeah, it's still it's still a marquee game, still a game that uh, we definitely uh, want to win. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see. I, I feel confident in this team because, as we've said, 
you don't know who's going to step it up, but always somebody does. So, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah. It was tough on those flashback games on ESPN Classic back in 94. The Lon Kruger, Dan Cross, Andrew DeClerc, Gators, against Rick Pitino, Jamel Martinez, and Travis Ford. It was cool, you know, revisiting some of those games as they were, you know, flashing back because of the game coming up this weekend. Uh, so it's fun to watch those. Uh, we got Brian Eldridge will be on in a couple of minutes. He's going to call right at about 6.30. So uh, we'll transition from uh, previewing Florida and recapping Georgia. Uh, they also got LSU coming up after Florida. But then we'll talk a little Kentucky football recruiting. Um, what was your thoughts, TB, as, you know, you had some decommitments, you had the incident in Richmond with UK and EKU. We didn't really mention that last uh, last week down there in Richmond in the bar. Um, and then, that, of course, all that kind of coming in leading up to signing day. And, you know, we're not recruiting guys, but we, we kind of see who they got and uh, heard and saw tweets and stuff like that. And we'll get in detail with Brian here in a few minutes. But so what was your thoughts on a few little negative Black eyes, things that you don't like to see happen, but it will happen because you got some young guys on the team. That doesn't mean they are, you know, world's worst kids. Um, what was your thoughts on all of that and kind of the momentum and, you know, people were kind of getting disappointed and and all of that? Well, and the thing, you know, that I've noticed more than, you know, from football, you've got decommitments. That, that type of situation, uh, it's not unusual. Uh, for that to happen. Uh, but I think what we're kind of looking for as Kentucky fans is can we maintain that momentum that that Stoops and company, you know, they hit the ground running, uh, you know, a couple of years ago and, and we had some of those top classes. Can we maintain that with a modest, you know, five wins is good, but a modest success of of la- of, of last season? And for what I'm understanding, what I'm seeing, we're kind of uh, we're still we're still better than we have been. Uh, I saw a report, and I don't know where, that uh, 39th in the country, but again, only 13th in the SEC. Uh, but I think the either the first or second ranked class of uh, uh, programs that did not make a bowl game. So I think that is saying a lot as well. So I think the momentum is still there. Uh, I think we just need to get away from basketball recruiting and how that's done and understand football a little bit better uh, as a fan base. But uh, And this is being a recruiting novice, as we are, I, I feel pretty good about the class. I'm sure uh, Brian will come on and point out some, some things uh, specifically, but I feel pretty good uh, about where we are. And speaking of... Mr. Knowledge himself, the guru, he is on with us as we speak, the scout recruiting analyst for high school football in Kentucky, uh, UK and Missouri State football recruiting for scout.com. We are talking about none other than Brian Eldridge. He's coming to us from Hopkinsville on a busy national signing day. Brian, you're on Cat's Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brian and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing fantastic. Play, 
Yeah, hoping hoping you can explain recruiting to us because as we have professed, this is not our forte. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you what, if I could explain it, I'd probably be on somebody's staff right now. <laughs> but no, it, it's just one of those things, man, where you know you just fill in the blank best way you can with these coaches, and you know you look at the kids and you try to project them and see what's going to happen, and you know try to figure out how they fit into your game plan. So this particular the class, oh, go ahead, Benny. I'm sorry. This particular class, TB and I are talking about a little bit, Brian. Um, how would you say? I mean, I, I heard Coach Stoops and Coach Mara on some shows earlier today. Uh, when I got Ryan Lemon on, on KSR, um, there were some decommitments leading into signing day. Um, they were still able to get, I think, on Scott.com, you know, the 44th-ranked class in the nation, if I saw on your guys' site. Uh, how would you say this class is? Are the coaches excited about it, or are they still a little bit disappointed about what happened? Is it all kind of come with the territory? If you just had to rank it, what would be your opinion on what they were able to do today? Well, you know, I don't think they're doing too bad. I mean, under the circumstances, considering that, Okay, at this point, you're not just selling a, a vision. You're selling, you know, what you've actually accomplished on the field. Uh, you have to think about that because, you know, they ended up losing six games in a row at the end. And while as much as people are saying, oh, it didn't matter, it does matter. I mean, they, kids, kids are watching and they see that you're losing, and that's gonna that's gonna play, you know, a role in that. However, you can still build, and you can say, well, look, we were close. You know, look at what we did against Florida. Look how we you know, competed against Louisville at the end of the year. You know, you can go on and talk about how they had, like, what, six straight weeks of, of games without having a break. And all that kind of thing plays into that losing streak, and I think that's what really hurt them at the end. Also, that <laughs> a lot of people, this is a sore spot, but Damian Harris, his his commitment to Alabama, I think that hurt in, in you know, more of a perception thing because people were thinking, okay, if Damian Harris can go to Kentucky, why can't I? It's the same thing that happened last year when, in in reverse, I should say, that Drew Barker commits. You know, he's one of the top quarterbacks in the whole country. Matt Elam commits, although he was a, you know, last-minute type thing, but a lot of people felt like he was coming. So if you add those kinds of guys to the staff, I mean, to the, you know, to the class, that gives a perception and makes guys think, you know what, why can't I do that? Why can't I go, you know, why not? <laughs> so that, I think that, that hurt this group. That hurt this group a little bit. They didn't have a, they didn't have a Drew Barker to hold the class together, and then they had, you know, perceived failures on the field that were used against them at the end. Because, you know, you look at who they lost their players to, you know, you lost uh, lost Denson to Auburn. Auburn's a really good program, won a national championship a couple of years ago. We're in the championship game last year. You lose uh, the Twins, the uh, Dowell Twins. You lose them to Michigan State. Michigan State is good as anybody in the SEC not named Alabama, in my opinion. And so you you know you lost two you know those guys to really good programs, you know you losing you lose uh, the kid from Florida the defensive end his name slips in line you lost him to North Carolina when he committed in Kentucky I don't think he Strawbridge yeah Strawbridge was never completely committed I don't think he ever was right. he always said he was going to take visits and so it's not a shock to see him flip and you know I think we did a good job you know filling some needs and picking up some guys here and there that would replace the guys we lost. And 
I don't, I don't, I'm not disappointed in this class at all. Actually, I think it's going to be kind of underrated class. It's, it's going to just fill. It's like I said, it's filling in blanks. It's got some. I don't say it's got a lot of star power to it, but it's got a lot of necessities. You know, it's got you know defensive linemen. It's got offensive linemen. It's got DBs. And you know, while it doesn't have that quarterback or you know the running back that you know you know electrifies everybody, it's still you know a quality class. What was you gonna say, TB? I think I I might cut you off when I ask Brian a question. No, I was just gonna get his impression, Brian's impressions on the overall class. Uh, now, even though we didn't pick up, you know, a big you know offensive skill guy, I mean, with with Boom Williams and 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 JoJo Kemp coming back, uh, I mean, going forward, I, I and again, I'm no recruiting guy. I still kind of feel okay, like Damian Harris. Would have loved to have him, but I still think next year we'll still be pretty good at those skill positions. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, especially wide receiver. I think a lot of people are <laughs> a lot of people are freaking out at wide receiver. You know, they're like, "Oh, we didn't get this guy, and we didn't get that guy." But if you look at the ones they did get, you got um, Jabari Greenwood, who is ridiculously talented. He he committed you know months ago. You got Dozier, uh, who's a six six two ten, runs four five forty, great hands, great athleticism, and then you added on uh, Kevin Richardson, who's really been committed for several months. Actually, just never, you know, verbally let anybody know until this week, well, last week. Those three guys are big, you know, big outside receivers who could, you know, also come across the middle. They're going to be blocking threats downfield, and then you add those to the little little guys that we have, you know, like Ryan Timmons. Uh, Timmons is quick as a hiccup, and if he gets healthy, you're gonna have a have an all SEC quality type of player. You get Jeff Bedette back next year. You've got Alex Montgomery coming back next year. You've got uh, just a, a quality group of guys, you know, to go with. You know, Patrick Coles, who's still learning and still developing, but he's gonna be a good quarterback. You you know, everything's coming together. This class is going to be a lot about depth, and I think this is a what you maybe call like a glue class. You know, they're going to hold things together, and they have enough quality players in this group that will, you know, you can help build on you know the momentum that they had last year and going into this year. I I caught because um, we're talking with Brian Eldridge of Scout dot com um, on Cat Talk. With Vinny and Terry right now on blocktalkradio.com. Uh, I talked. I heard where Coach Stoops uh, today talked about wanting to get links. There's a mm-hmm. lot of guys, a lot of tall guys uh, in this class uh, at that defensive end position, at that wide receiver position, like you mentioned. Um, another little guy joins in, the Sahin King, running back out of Georgia. They said that. Uh, the offensive coordinator from West Virginia, Shannon Dawson, was recruiting, you know, as a Mountaineer. And, of course, he follows Dawson to UK, uh, the offensive player of the year out of Georgia, uh, 5'8", 175, so a little quick-type running back. Uh, but there is that length. They talked about wanting to get longer, and looks like they were able to do that. I mean, uh, you know, Conrad, 6'4", tight end. Uh, a lot of the linemen, offensive, defensive linemen, and receivers are a lot of those tall, rangy, athletic guys. 
uh, that can carry some weight when you get them in the weight room or that can, you know, jump up and win some 50-50 balls, whether they be a receiver or a DB? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Kentucky really did a good job uh, getting – couple of, you know, defensive backs like Chris Westry, um, you know, 6'4 <laughs> as a quarter. It's crazy. I think ultimately you'll see him at safety, but still, you know, DB at 6'4, you don't see a lot of those kinds of guys, not in not in college anyway. And then Derek Bain, 6'3, you know, plays, you know, cornerback. So you've got two 6'3, 6'4 cornerbacks to go against these big 6'5 wide receivers that Kentucky's going to face every week. Um would love to see Marcus Lewis jump into that group, although he's only six one. <laughs> he may be the most talented player of that of that class, but you know, unfortunately, Florida State came calling and swept him away. But I mean, right. there's a hole the defensive backs these guys brought in. I mean, you know, nobody talks about it that much, but Keith Beckham is a big time uh, safety prospect and probably could play some corner too. He's he's the, probably the second smallest guy in the recruiting class, but. He's a playmaker. He he just knows how to play play the game. And he's been committed for several months. Nobody's talking about him. So nobody's really thinking about it. But he's a big big guy to come in. Uh, as far as adding length, they did get another guy to DC in Will Jackson. I didn't know a lot about Will Jackson until yesterday, and found out that he actually played wide receiver his first three years, and then he converted to corner last year. And everybody really liked him. They thought he had a lot of the potential to be a good corner. He just needs to learn his techniques. And he could, you know, even if he doesn't turn out as a corner, he could still play safety. He's six three, two hundred pounds coming into college. That's bigger than that's bigger than every defensive back Kentucky has right now. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, these kinds of athletes and this this length these guys have. This is just this is what you need. And Marcus Walker, I can't believe him. Now Marcus Walker might be the best of the whole group. He, you know, safety out of Lake Wells, Florida. And that guy, he's fast, he's strong, he's not afraid to get his get his nose dirty. I mean, he'll go in and he'll do anything you want him to do as a as a safety. So as a group, this is just a really good group of defensive backs that he's adding to, you know, guys like uh, Mike Edwards and Darius West who hopefully will be healthy to play this year. And, you know, uh, A.J. Stamps is coming back. You know, you've got – you got Cody Quinn and you've got uh, a young man, I can't think of the kid's name from Georgia who started last year with him. Those guys are coming back, so you've got their experience. They've got depth. You know, they're still learning, they're still young, but there's more players there to, you know, to complete complete the competition. So I think, you know, it's going to be exciting to see what they're able to build on and how they can make these kind of players grow. And I know you you don't have a lot of time, Brian, but and I appreciate you definitely coming on with us. What is today like for you? As a recruiting guy that covers it, and you do it for Kentucky and Missouri State in football, in addition to what you're doing in high school, you know, as they transition and become ready to commit on National Signing Day, National Signing Day for Brian Eldridge is fill in the blank. Uh, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> dude. It's like, you know, it, it's crazy because you're, you're, it's hard to explain. It, you have so many things coming at you from different directions. If you're just doing one school like I used to do when I just did Kentucky, it was a lot easier because you kind of knew what to expect. You could kind of prepare yourself and say, all right, well, these guys are already in. You got two or three other guys that you may have questions about, and you'll have two or three other surprises. You could, you could kind of figure out, okay, this is where I'm going. 
But now I have not only just UK, I've got high school kids in Kentucky. So now I've got, you know, not only, you know, Kentucky kids, kids are going to Western Kentucky, a few maybe going to U of L or Indiana, Purdue, Tennessee maybe, Ohio State may put one out here and there. And you got the lower level kids maybe going to EKU or Murray State or Moorhead. And then, you know, my bosses decided I didn't have enough to do and they decided to give me Missouri <laughs> State. <laughs> so now I'm covering Missouri State and I'll be honest, when I started covering them almost a year ago, I had no idea anything about them. And I didn't know any of their coaches. I knew nothing. And it was difficult. So now I'm learning. I'm still learning a lot about their program and learning a lot about their recruiting class. And they've had a had a pretty eventful last three or four weeks since they, they actually hired uh, Dave Steckel, who was Gary Pinkle's recruit. I mean, defensive coordinator at Missouri. And he's made a huge impact to those guys. So they're really excited. They had no commitment going into December, and I think the end of December, actually right now they've they've filled up. I'm pretty sure there were over 20 commitments, and they've added about 15 commitments just since the middle of January. (laughs) So you can imagine I've been, you know, having a lot of finger cramps from typing and brain cramps from trying to remember everybody's name, and it's been crazy. So, you know, a lot of kids just fly in different directions, and if you see me, you know, pass out on Twitter or something. That's just because there's so much going on. <laughs> yeah. we'll keep well, man, you're doing a great job, man. I do the so best I can, you. man. I, it, I give a lot of credit to, you know, people on Twitter who, who keep me informed about things when I don't have a chance to look for it. You know, I'll get notes, I get text messages, emails, people like, hey, check this out, Ryan, look at this. You know, hey, did you hear about this? I'm just grateful that people pay attention enough to what I'm doing that I'm able to, Use their information and thank them and give them back something better. Hey, good stuff, man. And, um, you know, TB and I, like we said, we're not huge recruiting guys. That's why we wanted to get you on. And we appreciate you on this insane day taking a few minutes uh, to enlighten us on the fellow, the future Wildcats that are coming in um, and, and juggling between UK and Missouri State. Just appreciate you taking the time to drop the knowledge tonight, sir. Oh, man, it's no problem at all. I'm glad you guys had me on, and, you know, best of luck with all you guys do, and this sounds like a fun show. I'm going to have to come back sometime. We appreciate it. Definitely, definitely want to have you on again sometime. And just to let all our listeners know, Roy Wood Jr. is your homeboy. That's how it is. You're not his boy. He's your boy because, you know, he's, he's better off for knowing you. He's a better comedian for knowing you. <laughs> Yeah, Roy is, Roy is a funny guy, man. He, we had some mutual friends from when I lived in Birmingham, and, you know, that's how we kind of met and we came across each other. And Roy, Roy is a genuinely good guy, and he is hilarious. I mean, yeah. he can make the most mundane thing sound hilarious. And I love listening to him talk about stuff and watching his stand-up. He's a good dude. <laughs> that's good stuff. We got to have both of y'all on again in the future, man. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it, Brian. All right, no problem. Y'all take care. You too. That is Brian Eldridge, a scout recruiting analyst for the UK and Missouri State. Um, we'll get to a break in just a second. Before we do so, TB will, you know, piggyback back on what Brian was talking about. 
got another call that we want to take, and that is from Andy. Now, I want to warn you, you the fantasy people. We're going to take a call anyway and see what's going on. So, Cats Talk with Benny and Terry on the blog, talkradio.com. How you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing real good. Hope you all are, had a good <laughs> good day as Tennessee had anyway. Well, I, I saw Tennessee. They had their building blocks, right? That was what they were doing for their uh, national signing day. Yeah, brick by brick, baby. It was working. <laughs> Man, I, and I know Andy personally, TV. He's right here in, in Morristown, right outside Knoxville, like myself. Known him, wow, half his life. When when the lovely Miss Hardy and I got married, Andy was like 12 years old. He was at our wedding. Unfortunately, <laughs> dude, where he grew where he grew up, you know, he he's one of those volunteers. We went to some Kentucky Tennessee games together, watched Kentucky Tennessee games together. So he's a good friend, but of course he's gonna be a little bit pumped up, you know. That's the top five class that the Vols got down there that Bush Jones was able to do. So uh, we appreciate you calling in on National Signing Day. He said he was gonna call in and and check us out and chat with us. And, hey, true to his word, he's calling in and talking with us right now, TB. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I just, I'm excited that Butch Jones is having to run people off that ain't cutting the mustard at Tennessee. been a long time since we had to do that. Well, and, and that's the I know. thing, too. I'm, I'm not a Tennessee fan, but, you know, I remember, of course, you know, Peyton Manning, Philip Fulmer years, and even going back to Johnny Majors and Heath Shuler. So for the program to be kind of where it has been uh, for the past couple of years, you know, even losing to Kentucky, uh, you all got to be feel, feeling good to kind of get that momentum and, and get go back in the right direction, right? Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's been since, you know, like you said, the former years, and the last three or four of those were were terrible previous standards. But uh, I'm, I'm 20, 25, going to be 26, and, you know, I was a kid the last time Tennessee was really rolling. So I, I think Butch Jones has got it on the right track, and we're excited and I mean, I'm not a Kentucky fan, but I'm glad Kentucky's got some stability too. You know, it makes the SEC better, and I'm always excited about that. And I give Vinny a hard time, but uh, I like Kentucky when they ain't playing Tennessee. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, fair, fair yeah. enough. We'll take it. <laughs> exactly. It's that's all part of the the banter between fans, especially I think in the SEC as a whole. That's just how we all do. We all dab each other. Um, and that's why, you know, come bowl season, you know, with the exception of probably Auburn and Alabama, we all root for each other in the bowls, and you want to see the conference continue to be superior uh, as opposed to the rest of the country. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, I don't want to take much of y'all's time up. I've been telling Vinny I was going to call in, so uh, definitely wanted to just give him a shout-out, and y'all sound like you got a pretty good show going on. So We certainly appreciate it. We're trying, yes, man. I appreciate you calling in, and I know you guys have been trying to find the next Henderson and Haynes work for a while. You guys possibly have them talent-wise with the lineman you got, right? Well, I know for sure that Khalil McKenzie is uh, is a man-child. He, I mean, if you watch his huddle film, I know you've seen a little bit of it, but, uh, I mean, there ain't no uh, high school kids that could hang with him. Uh, in the Under Armour All-American game, if you look that up. Now, we'll see what happens when he hits the uh, offensive linemen of Bama and uh, Florida 
we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, he's going to have to be double teamed for sure by by most everybody else. Uh, we'll just see if his uh, condition can hold up. So I think he come in around 340, which was a little heavy, but I think he'll be all right once he actually gets there. Because he hadn't played his senior year, he he had to he moved, and so they killed him on his zoning rules or something. So he didn't get to play his senior year, but he'll he'll be here this summer. Well, sounds good. It'll be it'll be uh, spring practice time, spring game before you know it, and we'll be wishing the summer away for September, and then you know we'll be doing it all again come the season, and we'll see what all these guys can do before we know it. All right, so I'm gonna do a, do a quick prediction, real quick. We're gonna Tennessee gonna get nine games, nine wins this year. Nine plus the bowl game, or nine nine regular season nine. wins. At the end of the year, we're gonna have nine wins. At the after after everything's said and done, we're gonna have nine wins. Whether it's nine wins during the regular season and losing a tough bowl game, or eight and getting our bowl game. All right, nine wins for for Tennessee. That that'll. Oh. Kind of put you back to to where you were back on that right track of the uh, the late nineties. I hope so. No. We got the defense in place, I think. So we, we we'll see. We'll see. You guys you guys are making a lot of noise and got a lot of momentum and getting a lot of praise. So if it translates, you know you could be well on your way. Definitely could. And this this class you guys got, of course, top five. But you know more importantly, it's second. In the SEC, which that's that's how you make your headway, second only to Alabama in the conference. So um, yep. that again speaks volumes for what they're able to do down there. So I know you guys got reason to be pretty excited after today. Yeah, I'm excited about seeing uh, Jalen Hurd, Alvin Kamara, and Josh Dobbs in the backfield. So that that's going to be a pretty nasty triple threat. So we'll see. Yep, good stuff, man. And I appreciate right, well, you giving I'm, us I'm a step. All right, I'm going to cut out. Y'all have a good show. Thank right, you very much. Andy. Thanks Take for care. calling, man. Yes, sir. Yeah, my buddy Andy calling. Said he was going to call. So appreciate him calling. And appreciate Brian dropping recruiting knowledge. Um, we'll get to a quick little break. Uh, catch our breath on all that. And maybe recap something that stood out in your mind about what Brian was talking about TV. Um, talk some more UK stuff. We'll talk Super Bowl, talk NBA. Y'all know how we do on Cats Talk with Benny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back.
continues. Three little things that I got to tell you. One, I gotta get up in the morning. Two, get that money. Three, don't pretend to. But don't let the talk offend you. Hungry, but bullshit is off the menu. Spend time rocking in lots of venues. Tip bartenders who often tend to. Fill my glass, but that's the last. Back to the lab, then I'm off to crash. I'm just out here living my life, my life. Yeah, that and saying it was a dozen years ago is yeah, that's 
Because I told uh, Sean Farnham on uh, last night, I said, you know, you're getting older when the championship banners, you know, that are hanging up, the ones you remember are getting further and further <laughs> to the left. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, wow. You know, I'm looking in the 96 one is just kind of sitting in the middle there. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, time, time marches on, man. It really does. Yeah, and I've been kicking around the article. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just have just a few little nuggets of thoughts in my mind about it, and I don't know when I'll do it, but it's just one of the things. Um, But half of Kentucky's banners were before, you know, my lifetime. Half have occurred since my lifetime. Uh, In 78, you know, I count that because I was, you know, four or five months old when Jack Gibbons and company <laughs> won that title. I count it. It was yeah. in my lifetime. I was born November 77, the spring of 78, that they won that title. Then you got 96, 98, and 2012. So those four have happened since I've been alive. Um, four before my time, four during my time, uh, I'm going to piece it all together and get my thoughts lined up and write something about it at some point. But uh, that's kind of neat. You know, we've been around for four of them. Um, and possibly another one this coming year. Came close last year, came close in 97. Um, so, man, you know, and like you mentioned, Kentucky's always don't win every one, but compete and have a shot at winning most every year. And ever since they've been having the tournament, I mean, you've been saying this, pretty much ever since we've been doing this show together, um, going on 80 years, Kentucky's got almost 10% of the titles, uh, which shows how hard it is to win a title, but it also shows yeah. how strong Kentucky's tradition is. Right, and uh, this kind of leads into my, my last piece that I wrote for Wildcat Blue Nation, and that we are we are living in a golden age. When you look at just the the five or six years of of Cal uh, being here, this is a pretty special run, uh, especially if this year kind of culminates in a title. Uh, this is a pretty good run uh, of any six-year period in the program's history to be, you know, except for the 2013 Nerland's injury year, to really be in the national conversation Every year, uh, when you look at what he's done, uh, I know Michelle will get mad, but you know, for when when he took over for Billy G, and bringing in the Demarcus Cousins team uh, with John Wall and Eric Bledsoe and those guys, and yeah, they fell short in the Elite Eight, but that team was not only good, but you know, from the John Wall dance to, to Boogie and the Call Me sign to the Mississippi State fans, that team they were rock stars. I mean, they were, you know, John Wall was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You know, they were the talk of college basketball. We went into that tournament, the number one overall seed. That really put Kentucky basketball back, I won't say on the map, but, well, I'm going to say on the map. Put it, put it back on the map, put it back on top. Yeah. And then, it, you know, his next team 
you know, he breaks the drought, the a Final Four drought, the 14 years without a, uh, a Final Four, for which most programs would be okay with. But, hey, this is Kentucky. This is a little bit different. So he breaks that. And then, you know, he delivers the most wins in school history in the national title the next year. You know, then Nerlens gets injured. And then the team after that gives us one of the great tournament runs in Kentucky's history, even though they fell short. So he's packed a lot of milestones into these seasons, and here we sit right now at 22-0, and the best start since Pat Riley's team in 65-66. And as I tell people, yeah. when you are putting your name on the record book for Kentucky basketball, when you are saying best team since, and it's been almost 50 years, you are doing something because we've had great teams and great players since the 65-66 team. But this team is setting some marks that even they weren't able to reach. Uh, You know, we'll see how it goes at the end of the season. But right now, every year that Cal has been here, Kentucky has been in that discussion. We have been in that, you know, even in 2013, you know, people laughed, Robert Morris, whatever. But Kentucky – we we lead the way. You know, people laugh when Kyle said, we are college basketball. We are the needle. Well, just look. Just just look at the last six years uh, when ESPN talks college basketball, when people write about it, good or bad, it's, it's Kentucky. And this is a golden age that we're going to look back and just, wow, whenever he hangs them up, this is a pretty big, this is a pretty special time. Absolutely, absolutely right. Um, it's definitely you gotta you gotta make yourself look at it and and really visualize and observe what's going on instead of just tunnel visioning, tunnel visioning and not looking at how huge what he's doing really is right now. I don't know if I call it soapbox. But I just gotta, I just gotta do my little. I don't know what it is. Y'all, mm-hmm. you and Michelle can, you and Michelle can rank it to the soapbox or not. Um, I just got a little geography statement that I gotta make, and you know, it's not taking shots or anything, but it's just suggestions. I just, you know, from Pikeville to Paducah, Kentucky basketball encompasses the whole state. Pikeville in the east, Paducah in the west. And I just wonder how they came up with those two, because there's others that they could have done, and you still got the same letter alliteration. You know, Pipe and Paducah both start with P's. You could do my hometown of Lynch to your hometown of Louisville. That would cover from southeast to northwest. You go Middlesbrough to Murray. You go Cumberland to Covington. There's other different ways you can still cover the state. I just wonder how that came about, Pipe with the Paducah, and I'm just a geography guy anyway, which if you're a sports fan, you know, and all this realignment stuff, that just irks your whole perspective of geography. You know, Louisville is in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, West Virginia is in the Big 12. Utah is in the Pacific 12 Conference. So you can't, you, you know, geography has been out the window for years. My Dallas Cowboys play in the NFC East Back in the day, the Atlanta Falcons were out there with your Niners in the NFC West. My Atlanta Braves well, were in the National League West. So geography yeah. has been 
you know, screw geography for years, but that's just my little, you know, there's some other alliterations that we could have come up with, but Pi Close to Paducah is cool, and it has that ring to it that everybody's familiar with. Uh, but we could have had Harlan to Henderson. You know, I'm just throwing those out there, but that was just my little got to get it off my chest. And, you know, don't mean to offend anybody, but those just little thoughts that ran through my little mind. So. Oh, I understand. I say Pikeville to Paducah, but I also go in Louisville to London because I like to throw in my hometown uh, into, the, into the mix. Yeah. <laughs> I like, to, I like <laughs> and, to cover all my bases uh, with that one. But I know what you're saying as far as, you know, pro sports and even college sports. Now, uh, geography hasn't had anything to do with it. Because before a while, the Niners were the only team in the uh, Western time zone uh, in the NFC West until Seattle. Because you've got the Rams uh, and you had the Falcons uh, for a while. So um, And the Saints. Yeah, and, and the Saints were there too. So, uh, you know, I always thought that was weird. You know, and, and before – uh, baseball went to divisions, you know, the Cubs were in the East, the White Sox were in the West. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that uh, it doesn't make sense, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is, that is where we are, but I just had to, I don't know if that's soapbox worthy. That was just me spouting for just a minute. Uh, so there it is. <laughs> oh, you talked about meeting Oscar Robinson last night and, you know, I it's I try to whenever we you know the debate about who's the greatest this and greatest that comes up, I always try to make sure I'm giving respect to the old guys, even though we didn't see them play. I mean, everybody you know gives Jordan the greatest player, which would automatically put him as the greatest shooting guard ever. Your boy Magic Johnson has been holding down the best point guard spot ever for a long time, but. Now that, you know, Jordan is is where he is, that meant somebody else had to be knocked off. And in my mind, as far as shooting guard, that would probably be Jerry West. Maybe somebody else would think somebody else or other players. Um, Jerry West would be there. Oscar Robinson would be there. In the future, when LeBron's all done, you know, he's going to probably occupy – the greatest small forward in history spot, just like Tim Duncan is already getting greatest power forward of all time. But used to be Carl Malone, and before that, I mean, you could put I mean, any number of guys. When LeBron what? comes along and, and is all done, is he knocking Larry Bird out of the top spot? Who, who's he bumping? Who's getting bumped when LeBron's all done? Just like Jordan is there, Duncan is there. Who's LeBron going to bump? Well, and, and that's the thing. Uh, I, I think top your, your top five, if you had your, your, your top five, that's a, that's a tough nut to crack uh, because of just the differences in the way the game's played and, and, and things uh, like that. Uh, because, you know, there are a lot of people. I know Jordan has kind of become the de facto man, but – uh, is the best ever, but I think if taken to a context, you know, the era that he played in 
And when Jordan came around, the rules were changed for more offense. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the grab-and-snatch defense that the Pistons used as he was coming up, you know, the hand check and that kind of thing was outlawed to give guards freedom of movement. And I think that helped him a little bit. Still, great player. And I say this not to take anything away from Jordan, but when you look at Wilt Chamberlain, when he came along, they widened the lane to make him less effective. When you look at what Green did as Luau Cinder, they outlawed dunking because he was too good at it. So you have to kind of take that kind of thing into consideration as well. You know, Oscar Robertson averaged a triple-double for an entire NBA season. I mean, there's things. uh, Is Jordan the best? I think you can go with that. But I don't think it's a slam dunk as as a lot of folks like to believe. I kind of got into this debate after the Patriots won the Super Bowl. You know, now Tom Brady gets to sit at the table with four Super Bowl rings, you know, him, uh, Terry Bradshaw, my man Joe Joe Montana. And, you know, people, you know, Brady, greatest of all time. Well, maybe he's got the four Super Bowls, so he's in that discussion. But when you look into the numbers and you say, well, Joe Montana never threw an interception in the Super Bowl. You know, things like that. He's got the highest quarterback rating uh, of any multiple Super Bowl starting QB. So there's things you have to look at, and we've touched on this before, that when we were coming up, you know, in the the 90s, the defense could play defense. You know, when you were going across the middle as a receiver, you were going to get hurt. Your quarterback was going to get, you know, he had to stay in the pocket. He was going to get hit totally different game than what we have now, which everyone agrees has been slanted toward the offense. So I think you have to kind of judge those things, you know, like baseball is pretty good about looking at the different eras. You have to do that with all the sports and kind of see how rule changes, how the game is played. You have to take all that into consideration. Yeah. yeah it's, and you got to give – you know, Brady credit. He didn't. He didn't have you know, outside of Randy Moss. You know, top notch guys around him. You know, Gronk is doing his thing now. Um, so you got to give him kudos for that. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, and I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm not taking away from Brady because you know, hey, four Super Bowls is four Super Bowls. Yeah. But um, and like you said, the rules for not only the defense. Back in the day, were a lot tighter, but also for uh, the quarterback. I mean, I remember, you know, I hate to bring it up, but I remember when you guys played, I think it was the Giants in the, the NFC title game, the Leonard Marshall, somebody just, just crushed Joe Montana. I mean, he got absolutely yeah. laid out. That probably would have been a penalty today. Uh, and Joe that would have been a pot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that prevented the, the possible 3 P. Uh, yeah. So there's all those things you have to take into consideration. You know, and in, in, in way back when, as we kind of saw in the Super Bowl, you know, when offenses, when it was third and one or second and two, quarterback wasn't going back in the shotgun. You were lining up and you were running that ball. When you look at, you know, we don't bat an eye when Brady and when uh, uh, Manning, 
when they throw the ball 40 or 50 times a game. That doesn't phase us. Well, way back when, you know, your quarterback was only throwing it 26, 27 times a game on average. So the game itself has changed, which is why I've always said you have to look at these passing numbers with a little bit of suspicion because I think they're inflated versus where they are, uh, where they were way back when. You know, if you've got, uh, like Joe Montana, you've got Jerry Rice and, and John Taylor and Brent Jones, and if he was throwing it 40 times a game, you know the numbers he would be able to put up with those guys? Yeah. Yes, please. I mean, yes, please. Uh, I mean, I mean, think about it. Was Troy Aikman, you know, if he takes the ball out of Emmitt Smith's hands, you know, 10 times a game, what can he do with Michael Irvin, Novacek, and uh, Alvin Harper? I mean, just think about that. Yeah, we always we thought it was crazy the way Dan Marino was throwing it thirty times a game, and he didn't have a <laughs> running back to pick up. <laughs> but everybody's throwing it thirty times a game. I think that segues nice into the Super Bowl Definitely. and the last play of the game, uh, or not the last play, but you know the play that we're talking about, where the Pete Carroll they call for the the shallow cross on the half-yard line, the slant, uh, instead of giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch. And I don't know if we said this last week, but you always think that they're going to try to get too cute. You know, you're going to try to get too cute, and you're going to lose yourself the game. And that's what I think happened. And uh, and uh, granted, there. I mean, well, first of all, as a Niners fan, were you just reveling in that, seeing that happen to the Seahawks since they're, you know, the, the number one phone in your division? Let's ask that first. Well, I was not reveling in it because I've been there, and I remember when the Niners were in the Super Bowl against the Ravens, and we had gotten inside the five and had three plays from inside the five or, or something like that. And and Frank Gore didn't touch the ball. You know, there mm-hmm. were two passes that uh, Kaepernick was trying to force into Crabtree. So I have been right there where they were. I mean, it wasn't intercepted, but it was four. You know, it goes to fourth down. You're inside the uh, inside the five because we had a great play to get down there as well. Not like that catch the Seahawks had, but you get down there, and as a fan, you can you're tasting the Super Bowl. You're like, hey, we are inside the five. You know, we've got Gore in the backfield. You know, they've got Marshawn Lynch. And he had just run, you know, from the five to the, you know, half-yard line. The Patriots were on their heels. And you're just thinking, this is this is it. Just, just punch it in there, and my team is going to win it. And then in a blink of an eye, it is, it is gone. It is just man it, it just it, so i have not been too too tough on the seahawks fans cuz like i said i've i've been there and it and it sucks when your team loses the super bowl it sucks um, cuz you know last year with kentucky you know losing that game wasn't quite as devastated even when they lost in 97 wasn't quite as devastated uh, but when your team loses the super bowl it's just something different about it 
and it just it it sucks. It really does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and you know, Pete Carroll was up there. Well, first of all, there were. I mean, that ultimately lost the game for Seattle, but that there were things that accumulated that led up to that. You know, up 24 to 14, how many three and outs did Seattle have where they didn't even really burn clock and then just, you know, they were on the field and right back off, giving New England chance after chance after chance to uh, – retake the lead, you know, cut it to 24-21 and then ultimately going to hit 28-24. There were so many drives that bogged down where Seattle came out there and did nothing when they could have, you know, put even more pressure on Green uh, New England uh, to make it more difficult for them to get back in the game, at least sustain a few drives. Uh, that would have altered the outcome of the game. And then, of course, uh, like you said, the, the play, the catch by a curse, <laughs> You know, I saw you and Michael Tillery tweet about the Antonio Freeman play. Um, yeah. I think Al Michaels, I think, later referenced it after the game where he just said the he did what, kid, where he just referenced his own call without really bringing it up, which I thought that was kind of slick. But, uh, you know, you got that catch and put them down there. Pete Carroll in the post game is talking about uh, they were in their goal line we didn't want to run against that. And, I mean, first of all, you know, it doesn't matter what you got. When when Lynch is rolling, it doesn't really matter. If we haven't seen that enough, you know, guys bouncing off of him and him running over players, you know, we, we've seen that before. But he says, okay, they're in their goal line. We don't run, run against it. You throw against their goal line, and they stop you play and they're in a goal line stop the run package. So who's to say that yeah, you can't you couldn't have ran on that and still been successful. They weren't, you know, out there playing the pass and they still stopped. So that really I mean, he can spin it any way he wants. I wasn't buying that. And I'm sure, you know, Russell Wilson came out and said, Yeah, he supports the call. A lot of other guys were still baffled, as were the 115 million people that watched the game, I'm running Lynch left, right, up the middle, and if they stop all three of those, I'm tipping my hat. They deserve to win the Super Bowl if that happens. And and that was my whole thing with uh, in the Niners Super Bowl, you get inside the five or at the five, inside the ten, whatever it was, And I'm waiting for an option play with Kaepernick and Gore at some point. Like, as you said, if you stop my best, I tip my hat and I move on. But if you take it out of your best player's hands, and a lot of Kentucky fans referenced uh, the Tennessee game uh, with, uh, with Randall Cobb who did everything in that game, getting this to the the five or whatever it was, and then he doesn't touch it again? Are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious about that? You've got to let your best player. And, 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 and see, that's the thing. If Kentucky fans, if we had given the ball to Cobb and he didn't make it or he had gotten stopped, you know, as what happened, uh, you live with it. It sucks, but you live with it. But when 
you know you've got a weapon back there, and the coach, for whatever reason, doesn't use it, that stings more than a regular loss because you feel like we didn't even do our best. You know? Yeah. My thing, you know, in the championship game last year against UConn, if it came down to a a last-second play, we drew it up for Aaron Harrison, and he missed, so be it. Yeah. Oh, you know, you don't draw it up uh, for somebody because you say, that's our guy, and if he misses, then he misses. But we know what he can do. He's our guy. Yeah. You got to ride it down with Aaron. You got to ride it down with yeah. Aaron last and, year. Right. And, and you look at, uh, you know, the Bulls with uh, with Jordan. You know, some of those game, those series-clinching games, the pass to John Paxson, the pass to Kerr. You let your star be involved and make that decision. That's, yeah. that's why they're the man. Whatever it is, you know, when you look at, at, at film, because uh, I'm a Niners fan, you know, Super Bowl 23, everybody remembers Joe Montana throwing it to John Taylor to win it. That's because Jerry Rice was triple covered. <laughs> you know, he, he had caught 11 passes for 215 yards. The Bengals said, he won't beat us. That's the only way you cannot go to your main man is if the defense or whatever totally shifts. You know, it's like asking Barry Bonds to bunt or you got, uh, you know, uh, Madison Baumgartner or the Giants, like though they sent him out to intentionally walk. No, you've got a, you've got a big gun. You go out there, and if he gives up a home run, so be it or, or whatever. Um. That's just that's just my two cents. You've you've got to go with your best player. Even if Patriots in a goal line, you line up, you give it to Lynch, and you deal with the consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now if with that Niners Ravens Super Bowl, if the lights don't go off, do y'all still get back in the game? I don't believe so. I, I yeah. don't believe I think that that it was very we were very fortunate that that happened, but because they were shell shocked, the Niners were, were shell shocked at that point, so that gave them a little time to uh, regroup, uh, if you will. Uh, because honestly, and this is going to sound ridiculous, I don't really remember the too much about the. Um, the power outage, or even Beyonce's halftime show. Because when your yeah. team is in the Super Bowl, you, you're, you're locked into the game. Uh, and, I, uh, and I'm not throwing shade your way, but when, when the Cowboys reach it, you know, now that you're older, you'll understand that, <laughs> you know, that you don't get caught up in the Super Bowl hoopla because you're focused on your team winning a ball game. So it's a little bit different than a regular game. Uh, but, yeah, I think that power out, I think, helped them because, you know, we came back and got into the game uh, and started playing uh, the way we were capable of playing. So, uh, but, yeah, the, the, it's got to suck for Seahawks, Seahawks fans to kind of lose in that in that fashion. Yeah, and now <clears> – <throat> And I, I remember the, it, it's been a while since we've been to the Super Bowl. I do remember the nervousness of 
of watching, you know, those three and four years that Dallas won in the, in the 90s, uh, the two against Buffalo and then that last one against Pittsburgh, that was nerve-wracking. I don't I don't remember anything about the halftime. I will re-remember if Dallas ever makes it again. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but um, now, as far as Seattle, <clears throat> you know, every team has that window. And then, you know, free agency happens. Guys getting older happens. Coaching defections happen. The defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, just took the job in Atlanta, uh, you know, to be the head coach of the Falcons, which, you know, they got a lot of those defensive guys, you know, under contract, you know, Thomas and Sherman and, and Chancellor and all those guys. Uh, and they're still fairly young. They're still going to be there. But, you know, pretty soon, you know, changes take place. You can't keep everybody. Uh, free agency happens. Guys get offered huge deals. Larry Brown got a huge deal after those two interceptions of Neil O'Donnell, and you never heard from him again after he signed with the Raiders. But that kind of stuff happens. You know, guys have good games and, and good playoff runs and then get paid, and, you know, the team they're with can't match it. So Seattle's going to have to manage all of that. Um, they're so close to being two-time champs. They're easily going to be a favorite in the NFC East, in the NFC again and challenge to win it again. But that window won't stay open long, so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle all that going forward, how they get over this loss in the Super Bowl. Uh, we've seen golfers, which is an individual sport, it's totally different from football, but a team sport. But we've seen golfers on the big stage in majors collapse, have meltdowns, miss cuts, uh, and, and just have horrible rounds where they were ready to win it on Sunday, and then it just eats at them and messes with them for a long period of time after the fact. So we'll see how Seattle goes into off season. Are they able to to get this taste out of their mouth? And how do they go into next season? Will they be in the funk? Will they be that much more determined to get back and handle business? You know, kind of the way the Spurs did. The Spurs lost to the Heat in seven when they were so close to beating them in six, but they went back and took care of business. So it'll be interesting to see how Seattle handles all that. Yeah, and, and bringing up that, that getting so close and not getting over the hump hangover, uh, I, I think you have to look at, and I think uh, this is the most vivid impression I have in my mind, is, is Nick Anderson for the Magic. Uh, do you remember, I think it was either game one or game two of the 94 finals. Was it 94? 95. Yes, 95 finals, where he had four straight times to hit one free throw to get it. You know, I can forget the score and everything, but he missed four straight free throws. And he was a decent free throw shooter before that. But after that, I, I think he had that mental block. I don't have the exact figures uh, in front of me, but uh, I think that there's a lingering in the back of your mind. I, I think that that, uh, that can negatively affect you going forward. And I, that was uh, against my Rockets. They had chances to, I know, at least even that series at a game of peace. I don't remember if they had a chance to win game one or not, but they end up getting swept, like you said, and that that just kind of followed Nick around 
for a long time. It just, it, it, I mean, people mentioned it years later, you know, different stages of his career, but he never could shake that. You're right. And and it's like that, uh, you know, individually and as teams. I mean, we've seen teams get get swept out of championship series and just not be able to recover uh, from that. You know, I, I'd credit the Lakers way back in the day of bringing in Phil Jackson uh, because, you know, before he arrived uh, back in 98, the Jazz swept the Lakers, you know, still had Kobe and Shaq and, and those guys. And it wasn't even that close. Uh, but he was able to kind of come in and put their put their mind on uh, you know, on other things and kind of fix that. But, yeah, it can definitely have a lasting effect, uh, you know, losing the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And your buddy Dale Harris just, just wasn't able to, to mold Shaq and Kobe, you know, into the force that everybody knew they could be. Right, and uh, for all the flack that, that Phil gets, when you look at that Lakers team before he got there, essentially the same as the you know as, as, as the years before uh, with Dell Harris, but you see the results he got. When you look at the Bulls, you know before he got there, essentially the same team with with Michael and Scotty and Cartwright and those guys. But you know he's able to elevate those guys to the ne- to the next level. Um, so I think that kind of gets overlooked. People think, oh, because Phil's got the talent. No, there were coaches that had these teams before he got there that he was still able to uh, take them from where they were and get them, you know, to that championship level. Yeah, and and everybody kind of you know he moves around more than anybody, but I think just the common average Joe liked what Larry Brown did in Detroit, you know, taking a bunch of average, not not superstars, just a bunch of good players and, and winning a title, uh, taking bad teams and scrapping them together and, and making something out of nothing. And, and Phil does get knocked for that, you know, because, you know, Doug Collins had the same squad, Bill Harris had the same squad. And, I mean, it's a lot easier when you got talent, but you still have to coach the talent and get the most out of it. You know, a lot like Cal has the talent. He has to coach it and get the most out of it. Uh, it's both guys, you have to credit both ways of doing it. You got to credit what Larry Brown did in Detroit. Just the same way you got to credit what Phil was able to do, you know, when taking guys that are, are close, but he's just pushing the right buttons to get them to finish the job. Yeah, and I think if if you look at particularly NBA history, un, until Michael Jordan really became the man, the team approach is what won. There were great players, but the teams were even better. When you look at the the seventies and the teams that won, Golden State, Seattle, uh, the Baltimore Bullets. Not a not a not a lot of great great particularly offensive players, but they won as a team. Even the the Lakers and the Celtics of the '80s, great players, but a lot of good teamwork as well. But then Jordan kind of came in and changed the approach to the game, where you had you know your one guy 
maybe a second banana, and then some some role players, the game kind of changed a little bit. And it goes back to what I was talking about. When you look at different eras and how things were done, it, it was just different. Yeah, most definitely. Um, Got to hit some news that just kind of popped up. It may have been in the works for a while, but that being Syracuse jumped back to college basketball, and they have self-imposed a ban on themselves, postseason ban for this year because of being investigated by the NCAA on infractions uh, and included academics uh, for potential athletic department violations in 2007. Um, They are banned from the NCAA tournament this year, the ACC tournament, and the NIT Talks about how the ACC, this is from ESPN.com, will have 14 teams in the tournament instead of 15, and teams will slide up to replace Syracuse once the regular season ends. Coach Beheim quoted saying he's disappointed that his team will miss the opportunity to play in the postseason this year. Uh, However, I supported this decision, and I believe the university is doing the right thing by acknowledging that past mistakes occurred, and it says they will also look into. uh, football as well, and there are also some stuff about Fab Mello when he was ineligible back in 2012. So, Syracuse is doing some self-discipline that will take effect as soon as the postseason starts in this year, TV. Well, it's all well and good, but Syracuse wasn't going to make a whole lot of noise anyway. No. And some of these they're addressing were things that we knew for years, like Fab Mello. That whole situation seemed wrong when it happened, but the team was, I don't know if they were on their way to the Final Four, but, you know, they had been on Final Four recently. So now it's at a point where a football team or basketball team probably wasn't going to make that much noise. So I applaud them but not as resoundingly as I would have had they done it a year or two ago. I think what this does, however, it kind of puts a little bit more pressure on North Carolina to address their ongoing issues and stop dragging their feet on some things. That's the one thing I think that's a good takeaway from what Syracuse uh, is doing. Yeah, and in, in the article even concludes, uh, Syracuse has struggled, you said it pretty much, has struggled to a 15-7 and seven mark this season. Mm-hmm. It was a long shot to make the NCAA or mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so <laughs> based on that, hey, let's go ahead and just take ourselves out of it. That way we don't even have to be one and done in the tournament <laughs> if we were to make right, the it, tournament. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it could have been, you know, for example, if uh, Cal had been involved with something in 2011, and then he said, you know, after Nerland gets hurt in 2013, hey, you know what? We're going to take ourselves out of, uh, you know, out of the tournament, out of the NIT. What are you, what are you gaining? What are you losing there? You know. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, like I said, it'll nudge some other institutions that have had some uh, some shady business. 
So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, they're they're basically putting putting themselves out of their own misery <laughs> this year, just doing it early. Right, right. So so now you've prepared your fans and your your other players, uh, you know, your staff. You, you're already kind of looking toward next season, you know, to be honest with you. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And back to the NFL, uh, you know, it was a lot of black eyes going into this season when you look back at Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and all that. And now the NFL is, you know, of course, the deflate gate and all that and how whatever discipline, quote-unquote, the Patriots get will take place now that the Super Bowl has come and gone. Add on top of that, Josh Gordon getting suspended for a minimum one year for the Browns. Johnny Menzel going to rehab, entering treatment. Um, my guy, Joseph Randall, backup running back for the Dallas Cowboys, being arrested for drugs when he already, during the season, uh, was caught stealing underwear and cologne at a Dillard's there in Arlington. Um, Dequel Jackson, the running back for the, I'm sorry, the linebacker for the Colts, who picked off Tom Brady, and that kind of ignited the whole Deflategate stuff anyway. When he made the interception and took the ball over to the sideline, uh, Dequel mm-hmm. getting arrested for simple assault. You got all this stuff off the field mess already starting up. You know, everybody's still having water cooler conversations about the Super Bowl and now here comes here comes all the drama and the black eyes and you know, stuff that you know, you just don't want to hear anybody going through. But now it's higher profile because you got mm-hmm. NFL guys that are having it happen to them. Well, and uh Here's the, here's the thing. Roger Goodell is going to catch the flack. But what people don't realize is he's working for the owners. He's working for 30 billionaires. He's paid quite well, I believe, $40 million or, or $44 million, whatever. He's paid quite well to be the media's whipping boy when it comes to uh, all this stuff. So... He's more or less just the uh, parent, if you will, of the owners. He's doing the will of the owners. My whole thing with the whole Ray Rice fiasco is, of course he's going to do what's best for the owner of the uh, Raiders, or not Raiders, Ravens. That's who he works for. Of course, when it comes to deflate gate uh, and all that, he's not going to really punish the Patriots because he works for Kraft. I mean, he He's not an independent overseer. He works at the behest of the owners. So when the players get involved, he can drop the hammer on the players. You know, he can send guys away for a year, whatever it takes. But it's the, it's the owners that that's who's he, that's whose will he is doing. And until people kind of realize that. And just think it's Goodell making these decisions in a bubble. I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of what's going on at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just crazy how. I mean, it, that's just the way it's set up, and he's gonna catch flat regardless. I mean, he's painted himself in a corner, so to speak, 
in my opinion, especially with the way he came in hot, you know, with the Pac Man Jones stuff when he first took office and and now with the way things have, you know, kinda of crumbled and not been handled well and you had botched cases of discipline and did he see the video and did he not? And then this this is the second incident of maybe preferential treatment to the Patriots or slapping the Patriots on the wrist. Uh, so, I mean, he, he, he's kind of brought out a lot of this on himself and, like I said, painting himself into a corner with the way he's handled things. Yeah, uh, but again, I, I think he's 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 taking the heat for the owners. You know, they're the ones that are making, you know, like anybody like you tell you, anybody says, you know, in an investigation, follow the money. Follow the money. And... Uh, so it, it's not just Goodell. I, I think he, there is a little bit of cover for those owners. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be a long time until OTAs and training camp. Heck, it's a long time until the draft, for that matter. But we'll see how this offseason plays out and handles itself. Um, Virginia falling to Duke. Did you see them losing that game? Did you have them going undefeated a little bit longer? They lost to Duke and then come back and beat North Carolina. Was that kind of what you thought would happen with those guys or or what? Well, and, and here's my thing with Virginia, uh, because people have said, you know, compared their defense to, to our defense, defensive efficiency, efficiency yada, yada, yada. Uh, and they are very good defensively, but they offensively they slow they slow it down. Their tempo is 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 different. Whereas you know we like to get out and run, and, and that Virginia does not do that. Their offense is not made to cover up ground quickly. So when they falter on defense, and they get you know against Duke, kind of get into a up and down game, that's not what they're built for. That's not what their offense does. Whereas with Kentucky, you know, if you want to run with us, outstanding. Let's do that. You know, we can do that as well as shut you down in the half court as well. So um, I'm not ready to buy into Virginia. Uh, I I think uh, what you have to look at with teams is – you know, your players, I don't want to say experience, but, uh, you know, the expectations of the program. I think Virginia fans are happy with where they are right now, whereas Kentucky fans are a little bit more dem- – I think those are the expectations, if you will. I'm going a roundabout way to talk about that. Yeah, and – and like you said, they play that, that slow down, try to grind it out type, you know, team defense, position defense. Yeah, and you tell you with less than athleticism. Um, but, I mean, we'll we'll see. Uh, they had a tough back-to-back and weren't able to make it through. Mm-hmm. And Duke, Duke went into their arena and won. So, I mean, they can't say they were looking ahead to North Carolina. Of course, they're going to be amped for Duke at home first. And Duke closed on an 11-0 run, you know. So, they, they, you know, it was in their grasp. 
and then you know Duke gets hot and 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 bombs some shots on them, and boom, there you go. They're not undefeated anymore. That leads me to another. Uh, I don't know geography little statement or not. Uh, you know, Kentucky and Virginia border each other, of course. And you know, me growing up in Southeast Kentucky, right there across the mountain from Southwest Virginia, uh, Big Stone Gap, Big City, Appalachia. Uh, yeah, Thomas Julius Jones, who's from right there uh, in Big Stone Gap area, and of course Thomas went to UVA. Okay, how Kentucky just covers the whole state, east to west, north to south, and even in Louisville, the influence of UK is strong. You're going to see your Kentucky fans in Louisville, you know, even though, you know, it's the cards, that's the town, that's the city where it's at. You know, you go out west of Kentucky, you go out, you know, Paducah, Murray out there, still, you know, big blue fans out there. Having said that, you know, you got Charlottesville, up in the northeastern area of Virginia, on past Richmond. But when you go to southwest Virginia, and it, it wasn't, it didn't take me long to get there. I would go to Kingsport and Dunstan City and Bristol, Tennessee. You go right through Virginia to go there. You don't see any UVA stuff there. I mean, Virginia's a state school. You don't see much Virginia gear. You don't see many UVA fans there at all. Uh, Virginia Tech, of course, is closer to that area. You see a lot of Hokie fans. You see a lot of Tennessee fans in that area. But UVA, it's like they don't have a reach. You hear the same thing in this area as far as Tennessee fans in Memphis. Football coaches, basketball coaches, they all talk about trying to get to Memphis as far as recruiting because it's so far away from Knoxville. You have Memphis there. You also got Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas. And those schools have more of a pull on Memphis than UT does. Same thing in Virginia. There's even a, a community college there, UVA Wise, and Wise Virginia. You know, it's an extension. It's affiliate of Virginia, but you don't see any UVA fans there. It's just, if there's any there, it's not many, and I've been through there a lot. But it's just a difference when you look at Kentucky and how its reach throughout the state is, then you look at Virginia, how it kind of gets diluted. You know, they got central Virginia down to Roanoke, and then going on up towards D.C., you get your uh, Virginia fans there. But you come to southwest Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Tennessee, their reach doesn't push through to that part of the state. I always thought that was interesting, and it just goes to show you how strong – Kentucky's reach is. I mean, it's, it's not like you don't see any Kentucky fans in Louisville or in Western Kentucky. Well, and, and it's kind of like that in most, I think most state schools kind of have that reach when you think of how Kentucky is, you know, Texas, uh, you think yeah. of Ohio State, some of those, uh, you know, Utah, BYU out that area. Uh, I think Florida as a state is pretty divided, divided among your Seminoles and your Gators and your and your Hurricanes. But my understanding with, like, Tennessee, there's a lot of friction between just Memphis and the rest of the state in general. That's kind of, my, yeah. that's the kind of thing that I get. <laughs> Memphis is kind of its own uh, animal down there in the southwest. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
I think Georgia is kind of like that. I think Georgia is a big kind of all-encompassing state school. Obviously, LSU, right. I would say yeah. Arkansas as well, probably Kansas, um, maybe Iowa. Um, but I understand what you're saying. Some schools just have bigger reaches than others. I think that Michigan yeah, is pretty split uh, between the Wolverines and the Spartans, If you know, if you had to go that route. So, um it's always interesting to, to look at that and kind of see, you know, what schools have what reach and, and that kind of thing. And, I mean, as, as strong as Auburn is and as, as hype as the Iron Bowl is, you're still going to see some Alabama fans in Auburn. I think, you know, Alabama football is much the same way as, you know, Kentucky basketball is. Uh, it was just intriguing. You know, Virginia had that tradition back in the 80s with Ralph Sampson. Uh, so, you know, they've had some good basketball teams before, uh, but it's it's just interesting. Like I said, every state has every state has its own <laughs> amount of reach or high amount of lack of reach. Well, as far as Memphis with Tennessee is concerned, you know, they got Jarnell Stokes a few years ago, back in 2012, when Kentucky was on his way to winning at the national championship. You know, Stokes was a freshman uh, came in the same time as Terrence Jones. They were ecstatic to get him out of Memphis. You know, it was it was a big get. It was hey, we can maybe make some inroads into Memphis as far as recruiting is concerned. And that kind of like you said, that little bit of tension, that little bit of friction, has always been there. Uh, you know, Memphis looks at Knoxville kind of sideways, and it, it's Tennessee's not well received when they go out there recruiting in any sport. So it's just it's just an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and I think that carries over from more than just athletics. I think it's just a, a state kind of thing. That's why Louisville, I don't think, no matter how good they are in anything, will have the reach out into the uh, the Commonwealth of Kentucky like UK does. I and just don't think it'll happen. Speaking of Louisville, as we wind down the last couple of minutes here, I mean, it's not like man, you just look to, to take shots at Louisville or just mess with them for no reason. But they made national news yesterday with Bobby Petrino getting banned from the high school in South Carolina when he pulled a kid's scholarship, a running back scholarship, because they needed more DBs. The kid had been committed for eight months, had already got it out of the way, looking to be a card, and then they'll come to find out. They tell him, we're, we're not going to bring you on, and then he's moved on and looking for other schools. But a huge black eye for Mike Petrino, a huge black eye for Louisville. The high school coach was talking about they're not welcome, and I'm sure other schools feel that way. Mike uh, Petrino is not a great recruiter anyway, and that's definitely not what you want to go out burning bridges with – you know, high school coaches in various different locations. Well, and here's my thoughts on on Louisville uh, and their recruiting. Because a lot of Louisville fans have said that happens frequently, and it does, you know, with the pulled scholarships, that kind of thing, which leads me to believe there's more to the story than just a pulled scholarship. If the uh, coach is going to go out of his way to – um, publicly go out and say, 
that your team is no longer welcome, I, I think that speaks volumes. There's something else going on. You know, they also picked up the kid from TCU that had some issues with domestic violence. Uh, I, I'm just not sure that Louisville fans can be, be real happy with with their recruiting. I mean, I know they got some guys in, that kind of thing, but I think there's a lot of uh, of things that could be said about the way they're kind of going about with their recruiting. Absolutely. We got one more caller on the line. I apologize. We'll get this call in before we close the show. Hello, caller. You're on Cat Talk with Vinny and Terry. Hi, this is Tina. I just wanted to say I enjoyed listening to you all tonight. Hey, Tina. Appreciate you listening to us. Is this the Tina that we've been talking to back and forth on Twitter? Yes, I want to do a story on you all, get you all some more listeners in there. Whoa, wow. And well, you're right we'll for our, our friend. You're right for our good friend, Larry <laughs> Vault and Vault Hughes, right? I do. I do. I do. I got all kinds of buzz. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's been he's come on our show a couple times, and we're always honored when uh, he does come on. Uh, Terry's got to rub shoulders with him there at Rupp Arena since he covered the UK game, so I, I just appreciate I'm you listening to us. And I'm I want to do a story on you all sometime. Well, hey, we're – I'm flattered. I don't know what to say. What about you, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sitting here speechless myself, Vinny. Oh, I, no, I mean, no, no, but I'm serious. Got, I'm serious. This is, <laughs> this is fun. On a Wednesday night, there's nothing to do but talk sports, so it's a good thing. But you all have got my email address. Just uh, give me an email back, and we'll set it up, and I can – I can come up and talk to you all, or we can just do it, and we'll I'll blow it up on Twitter, and we'll see if we can get it going real big. How does that sound? That, that sounds good that to me. That sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> I, I'm sorry you had to hold so long. I got to rambling and forgot to check the board to see if we had any more callers. I hate to spend well, you're fine. You were, keeping, you, were keeping, you were keeping me entertained. I was just sitting here, so life is good. Life <laughs> is good. <laughs> and for everybody out there listening, Tina, you're on Twitter at T cops fifty four seventy right, right, right. That's it. That is it. And um, I, like I said, I'll, I'll get with you all. I've got a few stories lined up right now, working on. And if you all will shoot me an email back, we'll get together and maybe even do it over the phone. But we'll get get y'all a story out there. Get y'all. People love talking sports, and this is a perfect thing for a Wednesday night. Well, wow. thank you. We appreciate that. Fantastic, Tina. We really appreciate it. All right, and you all have a wonderful week, and go Cats, okay? Hey, you too. Go Cats. All right, we'll be in touch. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Of course, go Cats. Yes, and Michelle, I think she had been tweeting with our number one fan, Michelle, yesterday. They were interacting, and um, let's see, she sent a tweet, you know, talking about when are we on, and that she'd be listening, and... um. Lo and behold, she gave him a call, and, and I saw on her profile that she's a guest blogger for Larry Vaught at Vaught's News. So, that's, hey, that's, thank you, Tina, for listening to our little show, and, hey, we'll, we'll do a little conference call and whatever she wants to do, man. Yeah, we'll we'll take some good good pub. We'll, we'll definitely do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, you got any soapbox stuff or anything that 
you hadn't touched on that you wanted to touch on uh, this week uh, on our show? Basically, my uh, uh, my soapbox was just with the Super Bowl. With uh, you, you got to go out guns a blazing. You have to go out with your uh, with your best player. You you, you go. You know, you don't have, uh, you know, Reggie Jackson bunt. You, you don't, you know, you don't do that. So um, that was my only thing. And and I'm not taking anything away from Malcolm Butler. I mean, he he uh, he read the play well. He saw it. He reacted. He made a play, and he beat the receiver to the ball. I mean, he he made a heck of a play. I'm not taking anything away from him. And props to Tom Brady for wanting to work things out to give Malcolm his MVP truck. Because, I mean, a couple of years ago, Malcolm was working at a Popeye's. Dude has a heck of a story. And, he, I mean, we're a couple of seconds away from Chris Matthews, former Wildcat, uh, having a Super Bowl ring because Chris was balling in his own right. His first catch of his NFL career happens on the biggest stage, on Super Sunday. Um, had a couple big catches where, once again, we're talking about that size, just going up, getting the ball at its highest point. You hear Chris Carter, Keyshawn Johnson talk about it all the time. He's out jumping the corner. Uh, Mark Stoops talked about it today where uh, you can make plays and be successful and beat DBs not with speed, but a lot of times with size. Depending on where the ball is thrown, a size will win out. Uh, we were talking about it with Brian Eldridge. Kentucky got in a lot of taller guys, got some size in this recruiting class. And, you know, props to Chris Matthews. You know, I feel bad for him if they weren't able to, to close it out. I'm not taking anything away from Malcolm Butler, but, you know, Chris Matthews had a good game too. We forgot to mention him. So props to him on having a good game as well, being a former Wildcat himself. Definitely. I mean, he, he – he blew up literally. You know, he recovered the onside kick against Green Bay, and and since then, uh, you know, it's he he's going to work himself into the rotation. I mean, uh, the plays he made, the touchdown, the uh, I think it was the first completion Seattle had. The offense wasn't doing a whole lot, and you know, he's starting to open that up for them. So, yeah, uh, you got to tip your hat. Uh, you know, it's 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 Kentucky football uh, in any way you can. Yeah. Do. You know, yeah. a positive and, view is good. Yeah, yeah. And the the call, I mean, Seattle had the best of both worlds. At the end of the half, you know, trailing 14-7, six seconds left. I'm thinking, eh, try to kick that field goal because, you know, you go back to, to pass, you know, Russell Wilson can buy time. He can scramble. He can move around. But in that situation, if he moves around a lot, then you're out of time. And if he has to throw it away or an incompletion, you go to halftime with no points. Which you're still in the game at 14-7, but 14-10 would be a lot better. They throw it to Chris Matthews and get the game-time touchdown. They go to the half 14 apiece. And that was just gutsy to me to do that with six seconds. It's not like there was 11 seconds, you know, take a shot. If you don't get anything, okay, run the field goal team out there. They had time for one play, and they went to Chris Matthews, and he got the job done. And then, of course, at the end of the second half, you know, they weren't as fortunate. 
uh, with the interception. But two, I mean, you know, you're on top of the world going in at the locker room, and then you're just crushed with the way things played out at the end. But a great game for Chris Matthews. Happy for him. Uh, we've got Avery Wilson and Avery, Avery Williamson and all these other guys going into the league. So you're going to see UK guys throughout the NFL. We look forward to that, man. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, Kentucky football is heading in the right direction. I mean, that's the uh, uh, that's the thing. And even, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on this later uh, 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 with the NBA All-Star game. And, you know, you've got three Kentucky guys uh, going to the All-Star game. Uh, that's that's huge. I mean, that, yeah. is, that is huge. Uh you know, you've got these recruits that Cal can talk to next year, and he can point to Anthony Davis. Uh, you can point to uh, uh, DeMarcus Cousins and, and John Wall and say, hey, in, in three or four years, this could be you, you know, honestly. So uh, that's, that's exciting right. as well, but I'm sure we'll cover that when it gets uh, when it gets closer. No doubt. We can, we can jump into it next week. It'll, um, yeah. Probably next week because it'll be all star time before we know it. So look forward to all that and much more. And we appreciate everybody this week. Appreciate our man Brian Eldridge uh, dropping some knowledge about recruiting. Appreciate my buddy Andy giving us a call. Appreciate Tina Cox giving us a call from Vault View. Want to do a story on our little bit of show TV? Appreciate all your knowledge. Check. CB and myself out on WildcatBlueNation.com. Um, hope everybody has a great Wednesday evening. If you missed any of this show, check the podcast out on BlockTalkRadio.com or iTunes. And we'll be on a 166-hour break back at 6 o'clock next Wednesday. Hope you join us in. Yep, have a good week. You too, man. <laughs>